It is Locked on Jazz for the 26th of October. Coming to you from Denver on an Ask LOJ edition. First, Will Hardy's way he dealt with foul trouble was super interesting the other night. And we'll have that. We'll look at that. Plus, then we'll get into all the questions. And there's one big question everyone wants answered. What is it? Is the front office going to pivot off the rebuild? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day each and every day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. We are available on YouTube as well. Um, And uh, our YouTube question of the day is, if the Jazz start 13-7, and I just made that up, do you want the front office to pivot? I want to know what you guys think. Because that's going to be the number one question on Ask LOJ here throughout the day. All right. Um, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I have this, like, either just bleak back window, which makes wall of my hotel, which either makes it look like I'm, like, in an insane asylum, which is what a hotel I've decided might be, or, though this one's pretty gorgeous, um, or I have the glare in the back. And the glare in the back's not great. So we'll, we'll pivot here. Um, thanks for those of you watching on YouTube, for those of you listening on the podcast, you're wondering what the heck that was all about, and um, I have no idea. I, I thought there was something interesting I didn't get to yesterday on the game before. You know, um, we're all just watching what Will Hardy does and trying to learn who he is and, and his different styles and, and his different techniques, and we talked about the lineups yesterday, which I think is representative that he's a flow coach. He's just going to like kind of let it rip, um, and there'll be probably some nights where he misses. He hasn't seemingly yet. Uh, the other one will be that I think is worth kind of keeping an eye on is um, foul trouble. And I thought he dealt with it really, really interestingly the other day. So Jordan Clarkson got two fouls in the first quarter, which is a traditional time to take a player out. There is a rising viewpoint amongst analytics, but also just intuitive logic about foul trouble. That, well, what is foul trouble? Foul trouble is that someone gets in fouls, and therefore you don't get to play them because they're in foul trouble, and so you end up trying to save them for the rest of the game so that you that they don't foul out. And then at the end of the night, they haven't played their regular 32 minutes. They've only played 26 because they were in foul trouble. To some extent, when you check a player out of the game because he has too many fouls, you're guaranteeing that the foul trouble happens. Right? There is a The other school thought, is it okay, well, the player gets two fouls, which is the traditional time in the first quarter where you take someone out because of foul trouble, and you say, well, actually, I'm going to roll with it, and if he gets his third, then I'll take him out. Then then we actually do have foul trouble. We're, there's, we're, but to some extent, when you just take him out automatically at two fouls or three fouls in the first half or four fouls in the third quarter, it's kind of always that the fouls are more than the quarter, you're guaranteeing that their minutes will be limited and that foul trouble will be an impact you're not leaving any possibility that maybe the player can play and not pick up another foul, particularly when you think about the fact that most players, other than Jared Vanderbilt and Kelly Linick right now, don't average six fouls a game. Kelly and Jared are at a pretty high level. Uh, so 
what's interesting, so Clarkson gets his second foul in the second quarter, and, and the, the old book, book, the book of baseball and the book of, of basketball, they're both kind of dumb, but we have them, would have said to take Jordan Clarkson out of the game. And he didn't. And Jordan Clarkson finished the quarter, had a great game, and then finished the game. I don't remember with how many fouls, but he ended up playing his regular minutes. It was, it was really exact example of kind of the modern way to deal with foul trouble, which is, um, you know, that you you kind of play with Clarkson playing twenty nine minutes, plays regular amount. Mike Conley picks up his fourth foul to open up the third quarter, and Will Hardy's like, "You're out." Okay, now that's the old traditional. Clearly what that decision is, is that, oh, wait a sec. I have to have Mike Conley on the floor to close a game. I absolutely have to have Mike Conley's final 10, 8, 9 minutes of the fourth quarter for me are way more important than any other minutes. I can get through it, but when the game gets down to the final minutes of the game, I've got to have Mike Conley on the floor. And so Mike Conley sat, and then Mike Conley came in. Um, and, you know, frankly, was outstanding. He hit a big three at the nine-minute mark. He made a beautiful, incredible pass. And then in the fourth quarter, in the third quarter, with Jared Vanderbilt, I almost think that the way he's coaching Jared Vanderbilt is, okay, he's going to get six fouls. I'm totally fine with it, and we're just going to play him as much as we possibly can until he gets six fouls, and then we'll play other guys. So because Vanderbilt gets his fourth foul at the 930 mark, and then he got an extra three minutes out of him. And got his fifth foul at the 6-16 mark, and then he sat him. And by the end of the night, Jared Vanderbilt fouls out of the game, but you so you actually get the maximum minutes you were going to get out of Vanderbilt, which on that night was 19. Kelly Olynyk had a similar thing, and he played him a little bit more cautiously because he actually wanted Olynyk late in game, and he fouled out with 29 minutes. So I thought it was interesting. I'll, I'll probably ask Will about that today. But it was interesting to see him manage the four different players in foul trouble, and he managed them all a little differently. Um, and I think it's it's insightful, and it also shows some real flexibility on his end. All right, so I wanted to get to that. Let's get to Friday edition of Ask LOJ here on Locked on Jazz. I, I love this show. I've, uh, Friday used to be our points game day. We're going to actually integrate it in because one of the questions is about points game. Um, I've always loved I, – I, I didn't used to do these, but you – I got to be honest, your questions are so in tuned and on it and perfect to what everybody wants to know that it's actually become, I think, one of our best shows every Friday. And it's kind of the perfect show to have over the weekend for anybody who's catching up on the week because you guys do a wonderful job of, of kind of capsulating everything that's taking place. So let, let me get to the let me get to the questions and um, do it. And then we have all these neat new graphics, too. All right. So this is not a question, he says which I, I love. I flipped it like three times, sorry. Um, this is not a question. I just thought this was the right place to lead off, but a statement. This is from Matt James. I'm really enjoying the start of the season. The wins and the attitude of all the Jazz players has made easy to root for the new version of the Jazz. I think that is the absolutely perfect place to start this week and absolutely the truth of the matter. That That's, that's where I think um, most of us uh, feel it has been totally inspiring and fun. And, you know, I think our memory of last year has become worse over time, not better, um, and, and made last year feel more miserable than it probably actually was. Um, but it is, it has been absolutely rewarding um, to see that. All right, I have to share with what just happened here. This is pretty funny. So um, I 
when I have to read the tweets, I go to my glasses. But if you look, evidently in the travel, for those of you on YouTube, one of the lenses fell out of one of my glasses. So this is now only a sort of, this is kind of a opposite of a bifocal. One eye is perfect and the other eye is, um, <laughs> all right, anyway, uh, the travels and tribulations of David. Uh, how well does this jazz team need to perform before the organization starts seriously looking at leveraging our massive pick stash to acquire talent to win now? Also, love this group already. Um, best surprise after a tough summer. I, I think that actually might be the truest comment here is that um, last summer, the, the losing of Donovan and Rudy and the realization that it had come to an end was the toughest part about this. And so I think that that's actually where the toughness um, may have um, have had the impact. It, it, I'm just going to roll through a bunch of questions here. It, if the Jazz keep playing well, does the front office still make trades? As well as we've... Uh, as well as we've all been enamored by marketing's games and potential, do you believe the front office targeting specifically? Oh, that's sorry. That was not another one. All right. Um, so let's go to these first two questions because this is, I think, the number one question on everyone's mind with this start. It's like, are we still in a rebuild, reload mode? I, I think everything that Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck, and Ryan Smith has said to us is still true. They're trying to build a championship team. Ryan is unbending on this. We're trying to build a championship-level team. Uh, more that you know that is that is the goal that we're gonna we're gonna and and to build a championship-level team, the you have to probably acquire um, some fabulous draft picks like a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown, like Danny did in Boston, like a Luka Doncic as they did in Dallas. Like and I know those teams haven't won a championship yet. I mean, the irony is that Steph was later in Giannis, and there's all these unique players right now. Um, so I think that what I heard from, from Danny, Ryan, and Justin was that the Jazz are on a 36-month trajectory of building the franchise up and then trying to move it forward. So I, even if the franchise starts at 5 and 15, something crazy, I'm not sure that it is time to say, like, we're a buyer. Because... I'm not sure that the depth of the roster long-term is actually there to build the franchise forward for a championship-level team, okay? So I don't know that this changes a great deal. It reminds me a lot of Jeff Hornacek's Phoenix Suns team, which stunned the world and went 48-3. and They were 25-57 and with Alvin Gentry and a mess of a Lindsey Hunter situation and then they came back in 13 14 and they were supposed to be like horrendous and Jeff Hornacek kind of took over and they went 48 and 34 and everyone got super excited and it was kind of a mixed match of players if I remember correctly Gordon Dragic was the like Lowry Markin of that team he was like the player no one realized how good he was and then he ended up having this massive season averaged like 20 points and then Eric Bledsoe was the young gun that came around and averaged 18 and and they got I mean then it was kind of an unknown Channing Fry, P.J. Tucker, Morris Twins, Plumley. There was a Plumley, maybe a Zeller. I don't think there was a Zeller. I'm just saying that. I mean, it was really a mismatch of of players that somehow did that. It, it would probably, you know, again, somewhat reminiscent or similar to this. And then, if you recall, that doesn't go great. They end up the next year kind of comes back to bite them. Um, 
as they go tw- 39 and 43, and then all of a sudden they're 14 and 35 the next year, and and Jeff gets fired, and so they they've really they accelerated their like path maybe a little quicker than they should have because they got greedy after that year, and I I think that you have to be pretty careful of that happening here. That there is a plan, it's the right plan, it's been executed perfectly to this point, and there it has been. The basketball has been terrific, and they're playing great. And, you know, yeah, they, they kind of feels like they have a real shot to make a run at the playing team, particularly if the Lakers are not one of those 10 teams. And um, you have a chance to make a run for that those 7 through 10 spots right now. Does that change your plan? Long, big picture. I, I, if the picture is to win a championship, not just to win 50 games, then I don't think so is my is my quick thought. Friday edition of Locked on Jazz is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. I got to share this story. So I work out every morning when I'm at home at a gym in town, um, you know, hoity-toity, Park City, little class. Um, and uh, I, I go every morning and try to be really diligent about it. And the, the people there are wonderful. And one of the women there is, is just super nice and great, totally awesome shape, like inspirational. And um, so, you know, they all are. They're just – it's a super great group of people. And um, – and so I was walk. I, I parked in the other day. I came into my Hyundai Sonata, and there's like the Mercedes, and there's a Porsche, and there's like and then there's the one awesome woman who drives her like minivan, like you know doesn't care. Probably could buy all of us. Um, so anyway, this is more than you know. It's a super great group. I love them. Miss them when I'm on the road. And uh, so I'm I I parked the other day next to a Hyundai Palisade. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was thinking about Murdoch and Hyundai's. And uh, this woman walks out, and I said, hey, how do you like it? She's like, I love it. It's amazing. She's like, my husband, total car guy, has to have the name brand. He has a Range Rover, but he actually wants to drive this all the time because he likes it more. And I think that's like the essence of Hyundai. Like, I think she nailed it right there. He's got the pa- she's got the Palisade. It's got ever. I'm like, does it have the turning signal thing? Where you? She's like, yes, it's amazing. Um, and that's where if you turn your turning signal, you don't have to look over your shoulder because it gives you a mirror, right, a camera right in the front of your um, – of your dashboard to show you whether you're in blind spots. And it does kind of sum it up, right? Like, right. The guy's got the Range Rover cause it's got it. Like it's cool. Um, or maybe it's a Land Rover. It wasn't, I think it was a Land Rover. I don't know which one of those Rovers. And, um, but you know, like she's got the Palisade and it's got all the bells. It's got all the whistles. It's got all the same things. It was not even anywhere near the same price. And she just loves it. And he actually wants to drive it. That's the essence of like when you buy a Hyundai, I, I really think that's it. Like the Sonata I'm driving, the, the sedan is amazing. Like I can't imagine you want anything more. And, um, so, and it does everything. It's fast. It's got all the safety features. Um, the Palisade is the most beautiful SUV I've seen. The Kona, the Tucson, the Santa Fe work their way up. Absolutely fabulous. And we have the Ionic Electric. So it's all over at Murdoch Hyundai, located 4646 South State Street in Logan and Linden. I, I just had to tell that story. I thought it was super fun. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm now embarrassed that someone's going to hear that, and they're going to tell me, and then they're going to ostracize me for my comments about, you know, I don't know my snide comments about ourselves. Um, they're going to ostracize me as we uh, as we as I go to the gym next on Monday. Uh, anyway, uh, Murdoch Hyundai located forty six forty six South State Street in Logan and in Linden. David, stop talking so you do not get in any more trouble or change the topic and start talking about our friends over at Prize Picks with a hundred percent deposit match on up to a hundred percent promo code with the promo code Lockdown. What are you doing this weekend? You want to have some fun? Let's do it with Prize Picks. It's not. It's easy. It's daily fantasy for you 
and it is a uh, simple level of get your entries in. Here's how it works. You pick two to five players. They go score more or less than their prize picks projections. You can win up to ten times your money on an entry. No competing against other people. It's you versus projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport you can watch, including NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college, all of it, I'm telling you. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's easy, safe, and fast withdrawal. Currently operational in 30 states or more. Download Prize Picks app. Go to theprizepicks.com and sign up for your daily fantasy sports. First time users, $100. Instant, 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with a promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, you get $100. That's 100% of $100. If you deposit $50, you get $50. That's 100%. If you deposit $72, you get $72. That's 100%. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on to get that and match up to $100 at Prize Picks. I love how um, I love how you like the world just makes us all the most insecure people in the world. I, I share it all the time here. I hope it's helpful to someone because um, there's probably somebody out there who thinks like, "Wow, he's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and he's he, like got a great life, and he's built a company. He shouldn't be insecure." Oh, trust me, we all are. Um, and I am now terrified to return to my workout class on Mondays, hoping that Isaac or someone, no one actually hears my um, and relays to the nice, wonderful people that I work out with that that happened. Um, all right, uh, where were we? We were on Ask LOJ. Let's continue. Um, let's see. Where's our Lowry marketing question I had? Here it is. He puts on his one reading glass. As we have all become enamored with marketing's game and potential, do you believe the front office targeted him specifically or have been pleasantly surprised too? Can I go with both here? So I think they targeted him specifically because he's seven feet tall and he can shoot threes and he's really, really skilled. And everyone knew that. And I was talking to Brian Bailey, who is just such a talented coach on the Jazz staff, yesterday. And he had the Cleveland um, scout last year. And he was saying, I remember him saying to me when we we were getting our kind of pregame scouting report from Brian last year. He's like, they're playing seven, three seven-footers, but none of them are stiffs. They're all elite athletic seven-footers. That's why they can do it. The question to me on marketing is not like, whoa, wow, Cleveland played him at small forward. It's like, why hasn't he been playing small forward? This whole time, he can slide to center, too, but he's he's so skilled and so agile. So I think you know that. You know he can shoot five or six, seven threes a game at seven feet. You know at worst you're getting kind of a Duncan Robinson, Davis Bertans, like, big-level shooter and a pretty long player. And then you watch him in Finland, which hadn't happened yet. And so I think they knew that there was more to his game. Do they know that he's this skilled? Like, is he emerging To say no, like, almost implies that they weren't doing their job. So I don't want to say that. Were they pleasantly surprised? I thought the way that the Ask LOJ question came in um, was is probably the perfect way um, to say that. I thought that was I thought that was the right way to say it. So I'll go with that. Um, Where does this team tack up in terms of last year's? Where does this team stack up to last year's team in points gained? Who is better in points gained, Mitchell or Lowry? Thanks so much for the great work as always and fun. Uh, are the T-Wolves better if they get rid of Towns and keep Gobert? All right, lots of questions there, Drew. I think that that last thing is a legitimate possibility sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. I'll say that. I've always thought that from the day they made that trade. All right, why funny you should ask about points gained on a Friday. Does somebody on Ask LOJ every Friday just want to make sure they get in the um, points gained question for me? So let's dig into our Friday points gained. For those who are new to the show, points gained is an offensive metric that I've created over the years that is trying to show who has the biggest positive impact on a game offensively. 
Um, in the simplest form, it looks at players and how they use their individual possession compared to league average or not. And then the ability to use multiple possessions. So if you have a player that can only like dunk a few times, then that's just the one or two things that they get you. But if they have a player who can use a ton of possessions and is above league average, then they become the best um, that there are. So, for example, um, and then the overall takeaway, by the way, is that you want to build a team. These are the two main takeaways we have on points gained over the years. Is that you want to build a team, um, ideally, that is, one, has every player on the team using possessions at league average or above. That's what a championship-caliber team does because then when you force the ball out of Giannis Adetokounmpo's hands and somebody in Milwaukee gets the ball, they're still at least league average, and then you don't lose a lot. The second thing is our takeaway is that negative players, players that use possessions well below the league average, are far more detrimental to the well-being of a team than anyone realizes in this league. Like, if there's a money ball aspect to my numbers, it's that people still misjudge how negatively impactful it is to your team to have a negative offensive player, Um, Russell Westbrook. But All right, so last year, just to give the concept, the number one player in the league was Nikola Jokic. Rudy was number two. Kevin Durant was three. Giannis, why was Rudy two? Because he shot 71%. He was the only player in the history of the NBA to shoot 71% and use as many possessions as he did. Um, and so he only uses 11 scoring opportunities a game, but he was 3.5. Those 11 scoring opportunities that Rudy used last year, he averaged 3.5 points more than what the average player would do with those 11. Nikola Jokic used 21 possessions. He was 3.9 points better. We usually have about three or four players above three. Last year we had five. They were Jokic, Gobert, Durant, Giannis, and Jared Allen. One thing that happened last year was that as teams deny the rim more and more, which has become the in-vogue defense in the NBA, those players that can dunk and get to the rim became more valuable than ever before. So that was our huge takeaway last year on points game. The remaining top ten were Carl Anthony Towns, LeBron James, Joel Embiid, Robert Williams, DeAndre Jordan, or DeAndre Ayton, excuse me, um, Demata Sabonis, Dwight Powell, who Dallas has taken out of their lineup, I think is a really big mistake, Rashawn Holmes, Mitchell Robinson, Trey Young, uh, Okungu in Atlanta, Zach Levine, Steph Curry, Harrison Barnes. Okay, so that was last year. Um, let's look at the Utah Jazz so far in the early going after four games, five games of points gained. I have not looked at these. One of the things I do for those who are new to this is I look at it with you for the for the first time together. Kelly Olynyk is 1.7. He's the most efficient player we have. He's also shooting it out from three like something crazy. Jordan Clarkson is a .9. That is so crazy, unheard of. Wow. Jordan Clarkson last year was a terribly inefficient player, and the frankly, the reason why the Jazz came out as 13th offensively, when, or 12th offensively in the conference when I did the numbers this year is because I increased, increased Jordan's possession usage, and it hurt the team. Clarkson last year was the worst on the team at minus 1.0. For him to be at plus 0.9 is just outstanding. Walker Kessler, plus 0.7. Jared Vanderbilt, plus 0.6. Lowry Markinen is 0.3, which is good. If you're if you're above average as a heavy load player, he's at 19 scoring opportunities a game for us. Um, Colin Sexton's a minus 0.2. Horton Tucker's a minus 0.9. Rodi Gay's a minus 1. Malik Beasley's a minus 1. And Mike Conley's a minus 2.8 to start the year. So that's where your Jazz are as of right now. What? Let's take a look at. Er, so, Donovan last year, if you were wondering, 
was a .3. So right at about the exact same as what Lowry Markkinen is. So far this year, Giannis is breaking the NBA. These numbers are super high early in the year. At 7.2. Then Jason Tatum at 5.6. Nikola Jokic, who we'll see tonight, at 5.3. is shooting 66% from the field. 91% from the free throw line. Christian Wood in Dallas is a surprise 4.8. Trey Murphy in New Orleans is shooting 68% from three. He's a 4.8. De'Aaron Fox, despite the fact that Sacramento hasn't won a game, 4.8. Dame Lillard, 4.8. Devin Booker, 4.7. The best players in the world are all on top of this. Like, you can decide what you think of points game, but like this right here, like when all the names make sense, it says something. It's also interesting is the dunkers aren't in here right now. It's really interesting to me. wonder why. John Morant, I'm doing this all for the first time with you. John Morant, 4.6. Kevin Durant, 4.6. Boyan Bogdanovich, 4.5. Steph Curry, 4.3. Brandon Ingram, 4.0. Grant Williams, 3.8. Uh, rookie, he hasn't played much. Let's see, anyone else interesting? Dean Wade's been super good in Cleveland. Other guys have been really good so far. Marcus Morris, Nick Richards in Charlotte. There's your dunker. Chris Boucher. Theo Maladin, who's generally been bad, but he's had Michael Porter Jr., John Collins, Bradley Beal, uh, Jalen McDaniels has been really good in Charlotte, not the uh, Minnesota version. All right, let's take a look at who have been terrible. The least efficient offensive player in the league right now is Dylan Brooks at minus 6.7. Super surprising here. Drew Holiday at minus 6.0, worse than Russell Westbrook, who's at minus 5.7. Darius Garland has not played much. R.J. Barrett got his extension minus 5.0 so far, shooting 37%, 14% from three. This I love this because I actually haven't followed every team yet. Miles Turner out with the injury. Keelan Hayes in Detroit. That's too bad. Maybe it's not going to work out. Lou Dort, major extension, minus 3.6. Cade Cunningham, minus 3.6. That's a, you want Fine when you're a rookie. You want to get out of here pretty quickly. Troy Brown with the Lakers, minus 3.5. Trey Young, minus 3.5. Surprising. Bad start for Trey Young. Grayson Allen, minus 3.5. Giannis is really carrying that team. Jamal Murray, minus 3.4. Just not quite right yet. It's too bad. Norman Powell, minus 3.3. Kendrick Nunn, Lakers, minus 3.3. David Roddy, Memphis' rookie at minus 3.3. Karis LeVert, he's always inefficient, minus 3.3. Terry Rozier, minus 2.9. Mike Conley, we mentioned, minus 2.8. And anyone else of interest? Clay Thompson struggling at minus 2.6. DeJounte Murray minus 2.6. Wow, that backcourt is not great in Atlanta. All right, there's your point gained numbers for the day. I hope you enjoyed those. Um, we'll come back, get the rest of your duel. A little rapid fire uh, here. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Second listen, Locked on Sports today. Check it out. 22 minutes of all the things you need to know in a sports day for you. And we will we give it to you and have uh, kind of the quick recap. Because if you have a wife, dog, car, job, anything out there, it's super hard to be able to get uh, everything done you need to get done and keep up on the sports world. So we're doing it for you. All right, let's go back to your uh, great questions today. Thank you very much for asking the point gains. If you want to get yourself on the show and get a shout out, you just ask the point gains question every week and um, – and we'll always we'll always get it for you. All right. Thank you again to um, who was that? Thank you again to Drew Dunn uh, for getting that question to us. All right. Uh, where does this team? Oh, that was I put it in twice. I was so excited for it. Uh, realistically, what is the ceiling of this team? Um, I mean, maybe the highest level is with that Phoenix Suns team I mentioned earlier, which would you know be like a 45, 46, 47, 48 win team. I, I don't. 
you know, let's let time go on and see what injuries happen. I, I hate to put a ceiling on people. Um, but this league is usually generally drawn by the top guys I just mentioned in points gained to John Morant. And, gosh, if you have not seen John Morant, come see him Saturday. Um, and Luka Doncic and those guys usually carry wins. Like Luka's triple, palindrome triple-double the other night was pretty incredible. Uh, you know, and we just, and Lowry's really good, but we don't have that guy. So that seems to be um, something I would say precludes us from breaking through much more than that. So I'd say, you know, if they keep this up, are they a 45-46 win team? The early, like, by the way, you know, rather than record, you always want to look at your point differential and where you rank in point differential. Um, that's always the best way to kind of look at, at where you sit, and it's super early in the season to do that right now, but I would say we're, we're eighth, we're plus six. Um, overall, we're 17th offensively and sixth defensively. Um, the number one team in the league right now is Cleveland at plus 11, and then Milwaukee at plus 10, and New Orleans at plus 9, and then New York at plus 9 also. Um, Phoenix at plus 9, so it's a little early for those things. Uh, if the Jazz added a superstar by trading a ton of picks, could this roster be a contender? Don't think about who they'd lose to match salary. Just magically add any one superstar to the current roster. Could they make the finals? Would it take more than one uh, it probably would take more than one, but like if you're adding Giannis, um, or you know if you had Kevin Durant, and suddenly you're playing Lowry, Marketing, and Kevin Durant both at seven feet, and you're crazy long, could you like suddenly do it, go all in, and and be a title contender at that point? Um, I don't think there's anyone in the league that's super great. Sorry, Warriors. Um, if you added Luca, would feel like we'd be really good because he's Luca. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. What about Durant? Let, let's say Brooklyn, let's play around hypothetically. Brooklyn really falls apart, and all of a sudden Brooklyn needs to go and rebuild, and the Jazz want to trade for Kevin Durant, and you're going to put Kevin Durant and Lowry Market as two seven-footers with similar games together. What happens? Um, are we the team that does well in the beginning of the season, but we don't have any better start hot and then end up 30-52 and 52 like last year's Wizards? I don't feel like this team is that right now, but I understand that um, concept. It is just still super early. We've had a bunch of good bounces. I mean, we're like a bouncer game away from 5-0, and oh, but we're also like a game away from 2-3, and three, and then we um, it could go either way. So um, we've done a great job against the shot right now, but I would say we're very lucky on three-point shooting defense, and that's going to equalize out. Um, and once that equalizes out, then we probably go from six defensively to like 12th defensively, and then we're probably around a 500 team, which gets to his finishing 500, the worst-case scenario for the Jazz this season, or do you think the Jazz find a way to trade themselves to below that mark by the deadline? I don't think... Th- this, I think, is really, really important. The Jazz have yet to make a trade because they're trying to get somewhere with a record or trying to do something trade-wise that is like to dump. Every trade that's been made, Royce O'Neal for a first-round pick, you can't avoid it. Rudy Gobert for four first-round picks and Walker Kessler, you have to make it. Donovan Mitchell for three first-round picks, Lowry, Markkinen, and Abaji, you have to make it. You have to make those deals. Boyan Bogdanovich one's a little harder to understand, but if you get inside the books of the team, and here's the basic thing. They were up against the luxury tax, which meant they didn't have the flexibility to make the next deal. By moving Boyan, they got $8 million under or $7 million under which now allow them to make the next deal. And they really, really had to do that. Um, so when you suddenly start to look at those items and the way all the trades the Jazz have made so far have been based on that they really get value. 
And and in the 36-month mold, if somebody else makes an offer here, which gives the Jazz awesome value, I would suspect they would take it. Because that's the... But I don't suspect that Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck can be like, oh my gosh, we're 15 and 15, and we've got to be 25 and 55, and we've got to trade a player. And it doesn't matter what we take, just get rid of him. We haven't seen that yet in any way. And I I don't know that I think that fits into the mold of anything that's going on here. Um, So I think that's an important discrepancy. Other than Markin and which of the new players have you been most impressed with through five games? My answer is probably Taylor Horton Tucker. He's still not efficient, um, and he might not ever be an efficient offensive player because he shoots 25% from three. But I am amazed at how many different ways he can positively impact the game. It's really remarkable. He's got, and he's got a game that is just not normal to me at all. Six foot four, 234 pounds, playing like he plays like a fullback. He wants contact. He's he, very physical. His defense is impressive because of his seven foot one wingspan. He's just such an unusual player. And I think a good coaching staff can figure out how to use an, uh, use a player like that. And he basically won us the game the other night by playing backup. I mean, it's, I kind of view him right now as our backup point guard. Ron Boone thinks I'm crazy, but I think he, I kind of view him as our backup point guard. Great lineup information. Do you want to know what other teams used? Trying to put that into perspective. Thank you. That was the flaw in yesterday's show, Alex. So you're exactly right. I did not have that. Um, I have since talked to the NBA. The Jazz have used the fifth most amount of lineups in the NBA, and Oklahoma City has used the most. So thank you. That was a great question. Can you explain the decision not to draft Desmond Bain? How does he dra- rate in your stat? I mean, the, simply the answer on how to not draft Desmond Bain, it was a mistake. Like a big mistake. It happens. Um, and there were analytics that certainly showed that Desmond Bain was the right answer. Jaden McDaniel and Desmond Bain were on the board at that time, and both of them made so much sense, and the Jazz went with Adoka's bouquet, and hopefully Adoka gets to play tonight. He's, he's healthy, and, you know, we don't hold – it's not his fault that he got drafted there. He's unfortunately been injured. Um, so, we'll, you know, we've really never found out what he was capable of. But, no, I mean, you just make mistakes. And I just don't think there's any other way to say it. Like, Desmond Baines turned out to be a player nobody projected him to be. And Memphis is great because of it. Uh, are there protections on the pick? We swap with the Jazz. So, I don't think it's a pick swap. The Jazz just get the the least pick of Houston, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. So, at this time, it feels as though we're going to get Philadelphia's pick. Um, would be able to look at it. So you'd like to see all of them hover around 500, though, surprisingly. I don't think you'll touch this one, but so far this team is so much more fun in so many ways. We obviously lost a lot of players, but was losing Don's lack of hustle, care, the biggest ingredient to current team's heart? In other words, losing Don is yielding positive. So I did want to address this because I just don't want us to get into revisionist history. Don cared. Don's a good dude. Did Don... I've said this. I would say this to Don. I, I thought he got lost last year in what being a superstar was. Um, and hopefully he recalibrates. He's got a new girl. Um, he matures and quiets the voices around him. I thought he had too many voices around him. I thought he had too much. Uh, I don't know. I thought all the influences were positive. And, um, and so I think it's. I, but I, I don't want some revisionist history that Don didn't care. Like, Don cared. Did the team lack some collective chemistry and juice? 100%. And they just didn't vibe. But let's not, like, revisionistly history change who these guys are. They were all good people. Don gave what he had, at the everything he had to the Utah Jazz in the natural evolution of his career, in which some of it involved, I think, him having a hard time figuring out what it is to be a superstar. 
Rudy gave everything he had to the organization. We should only talk about these guys with positives, and we got a boatload of players and picks to build for the future for them. That's the transactional aspect of this. So I don't mind touching that. I don't think there's any question on last year's team, like they just didn't have the mojo. I I think the better way to say it about last year's team, rather than sticking on an individual, the, the scars the group had encountered over the year was more than they were able to overcome. They, they had just picked up, it's not any different than some relationships, right? You've just had enough moments that weren't great. It's too hard to get over. Have a great one. Thanks very much for tuning in. It is Locked on Jazz. Booner and I will not be doing on the floor tonight. Um, it's been informed that we are actually violating inside of an NBA broadcast window by being live inside of an hour, and we have to try to figure out when else we can do it. So we're going to try to figure that out. It might be two hours now before games or something of that sort. Talk to you soon.